Can I have a glass of water? Who's that handsome? Canvas, art and ideas on FBI Radio. Sunday morning to you, this is Canvas, your weekly fine arts program on FBI Radio 94.5 and I'm your host, David Capra. And I'm not, I'm Sibella D'Souza. We'd like to begin our episode today by acknowledging the rightful custodians of the land upon which we broadcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And we pay our respects to our Indigenous listeners and guests and extend that respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that this land was never sold, traded or given up, sovereignty never ceded. David, what yes. are you doing today? I'm off to the Easter show. You said that so excited. <laughs> I am very excited. I'm excited for the show bags, the cheesy toasty, the strawberry milks, the um, flower displays, the, which always I found really strange. Like, they're intricate, beautiful flowers, and then it looks like it's all run by TAFE. And then it looks like they've gone to the reject shop and they put, like, hair clips on there and all sorts of plastic things. That, oh, I always marvel at it. it. It looks a little bit trashy to me, but, I mean, that's just my opinion. Have you ever seen the flowers there? I have actually... I'm from Melbourne, so, like, I am a yes. child interested at Melbourne show, not the Sydney Easter show. What's the Melbourne show? The mel- it's the same thing. It's oh, just in it? September. It's okay. like the exact same thing. It's just in September. I don't really know the difference. Actually, I used to get really jealous because my sister always used to go to the um, Melbourne show. Yes. And uh, one time, her, f- you know, they were like 10 and they arrived at our house and one of her friends was so excited that she threw up on the front porch. Um, really? Because she was so excited. Before to go- the before, chocolate milk. Before yeah. even getting to... The- she was at our house re- and my parents <laughs> were taking madness. her and she was like an eight-year-old and she was so excited. She threw up on the front porch. <laughs> oh, and that's wow. how I know that the Easter show is amazing and I wish... I you went. were telling me you went on a plane to the Easter show? Yes. I used to go... My parents used to send me off to my aunties every couple of years with my sister to be their trial kids, um, mainly so they wouldn't have to take us to the Melbourne show. They'd be like, aunties, go, take our kids there. And my aunties always... Lucky you. Yeah, it was really fun. But they were always trying to, you know, make it fun and exciting. And I was really young, so I'd always, like, let go of my balloon and things like that. And I think at one point my auntie bought me the same balloon about six times. And on the sixth <laughs> oh, trial, like, it was like wrapped around my arm and they were like you're not letting this go and I you know I kept it alive and then they would take me to the airport to go home and I had my balloon and they didn't think that maybe putting helium on a plane was a bad idea because when yes. we, we went to the, like the check-in they like looked at the balloon looked at me and they're like we're gonna have to deflate it so like five-year-old me just watched as they like stuck a pin in the balloon and it slowly deflated oh that sounds a bit traumatic to me yeah it was it was really sad but you know i got to carry its carcass back on the plane (laughs) wow so we have a special we have a special easter show program don't we to some degree we have well we have we have a friend of yours coming in today yes we have artist and educator annie boone brassert and she's coming in to talk about cult exiting yeah. So she was with the JWs. And JWs, Jehovah's Witness. That's right. Yes. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying so people know what JW is. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's a bit of a lingo there. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting how she's brought that into her work and it's the centre of an MFA. And uh, I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion. She's She has been in the show with... Uh, 
she's been on the show before with her sister Michelle, who's a oh, ceramicist. Okay. And they touched on that a little bit, but we thought we'd like to hear more about her story. Yeah, and it's also our final week of our music curator, Makita. Um, so we'll be hearing an interview with her and our music producer, Laura Hunt, uh, just afterwards. So that'll be around like 11.40. Speaking of which, let's get into the wonderful music that she's picked for us today. This is her first last track. Um, it's Petrol by Severed Heads. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94. 4.5 or via our digital stream. Oh, is it playing? Yes, it is. Bringing in the show today, we heard a track from iconic Australian experimental duo Severed Heads with their live version of Petrol, which was recorded in the Metro in 1982. All the tracks today are chosen by our extremely talented music curator, Makita. Sadly, it's her final week with us, and but stay tuned to hear an exclusive interview with our music producer, Laura Hunt, at the end of the episode. We're joined in studio by artist, educator and the incredibly lovely Annie Bumpasset, Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the interview work experience. Oh, yeah, we're happy to have you here. Annie is an Australian-born Laotian artist, art educator and live model who grew up in southwestern Sydney. Her art reclaims paradisical or idyllic nature of iconography using cult exit-related trauma to visualise a positive and meaningful life without religion. Um and it's based on her experience as a former Jehovah's Witness. So I'm really excited to be talking to you on this Easter morning. Happy McEaster! <laughs> yes, <laughs> happy McEaster. Well, should we start by um, talking about what the JWs believe? Sure. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that God is Jehovah, Jesus is God's son. Um, I'm sure people are familiar with people coming to their door and preaching about Armageddon and how one day God is going to destroy all the bad people on the earth and the earth will transform into a beautiful paradise on earth where there'll be everlasting life, no more sickness, uh, no more hunger. Um, Yeah, quite very utopian um, life. And you did go door knocking, is that right? I did. did What was that like? That is amazing. (laughs) Were you nervous? I was, I was, because it was quite scary. Like, I, I used to be chased by dogs and I'd encounter, you know, half-naked men with hairy chests at the door. And, you know, people were quite angry. You know, we were trespassing and waking them up and telling them about how they might die at Armageddon if they're not, <laughs> if they're not good. <laughs> Did you, do you have any stories of, well, one that sticks in your mind of something that was particularly... <laughs> Traumatic while door knocking? Um, traumatic. I don't know. After a while, it just become. It doesn't become as traumatic. You get used to the scariness of it. It just comes becomes a bit of a chore, a bit of a drudgery. So I do remember dragging my feet, and um, it taught me a lot of plant names. So it would be a good conversation starter. Would be right. I see. Oh, I love your garden. Um, what do you think about God one day turning the whole earth into a beautiful paradise such as your garden? You know, <laughs> With those daffodils there and the... Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know what else to say. It was, it was unusual, but it was, it was what I knew to be normal. And when did it start not becoming normal? Do you remember when you, I guess, started to ask questions and, and begin to think, well, maybe this isn't true? Um, I grew up in it, so mm. I think 
because of the nature of indoctrination, there wasn't, uh, I can't remember the first time that I started having a doubt, but I think as children, you have that understanding of unfairness. So it was unfair that God allowed, um, like because of Adam and Eve's sin, that we all had to suffer because of them and and die and, and that a woman had to have a really painful birth because of what she did in the Garden of Eden. And I'm, I, I miss the bit about the talking snake. Like that didn't click in my head until much <laughs> later. Sure. But it was the unfairness of, you know, people suffering because of someone else's mm. mistake. And so you were, can you talk about the time where you actually did leave the church? Yeah, that was, it was a pretty rough time in my life. Um, I I just lost all control of my life and I think if you're living someone else's life there is no point to your own existence and I think it was just I wanted to be happy I wanted to survive um, mm. yeah there's lots of things happening I don't know should do you want me to mention all of them sure <laughs> okay if you like. yeah well I'd always had doubts but I had to bury them um, and Things started going wrong in my life, like uh, my father got sick. Uh, he, he had a stroke. He had kidney failure three times. Mum had breast cancer. My sister had swine flu. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, she left before I did, and we were so close. Like, um, we, we were – we just had each other basically growing up because we were really judged by other people in the – congregation um so when she left she fell in love with um a really good person Mm. um my brother-in-law and I could see that um he wasn't a bad person that we'd been taught to believe like people so people that aren't Jehovah's Witnesses are known as worldly people yes the world the worldly people Mm. but he's a good person he was really good to us and um I was I, I did go to university, which was discouraged by the religion, and because I was looking after my parents, I couldn't work, I, I couldn't study, which, um, you know, I'm an artist, that's mm. who I am. It was um, an inherent part of me that I couldn't... Um, Do you think being an artist was what led you out of the church to some degree? Because you had allies, you had you had your sister Michelle, who's also an artist, and you, you dress quite quite you know you look like art students and which was which was (laughs) like i was like where are we going with this (laughs) no you kind of look different as well do you think that's what gave you a little bit of space between them and yourself and being an artist i think being an artist you're an outsider in lots Mm. of ways and being a jehovah's witness you're 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 even more different to other people and then in the jehovah's witness congregation i was in a language group so I was in a bubble, in a bubble, in a bubble, and I just wanted to be me. I want mm. I I loved art. I wanted to go to university, and I just felt that I had already given up so much of my life, and that was the one thing that I wasn't prepared to give up. And did you go through some sort of grieving process when you left the church? And what yeah. were you grieving? Um. Well, there's. There's a lot of things that people go through. Basically, you're 
you're trying to deal with the psychological trauma of the, the teachings of the religion, um, and that's usually um, compounded by the physical and sexual abuse. Sometimes that's sometimes incidental to those patriarchal and tyrannical systems within the religion. And then on the other hand, you're trying to reconstruct your life, your identity, without the support of a community, your friends and family, and without confidence in a world that you've been indoctrinated to fear and um, without a developed sense of personal independence as well. So I, I was like a blank canvas. I was I was on antidepressants. I wasn't eating. I was crying nonstop. I felt so alone and I was, I felt I had wasted so much of my life that I could never get back. I'm, I'd missed out on a lot. Mm. Keeping that in mind, um, let's go to our next track, but we'll be continuing this conversation. <laughs> this next track is Airsick by Laurel Halo. I'm Sibella D'Souza, and you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. We just heard from US-born, Berlin-based electronic artist Laurel Halo off her 2012 album Quarantine. I'm Sabella D'Souza and we're chatting with Annie Boonbisset about her experience leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses, or J-dubs, um, and its influence on her own artistic practice. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Annie, can we talk a little bit about your uh, masters? You're actually really focusing on paradise art and and uh, can we maybe talk about the the Jehovah's Witnesses and um, do we all what what do we think of when we think of the Jehovah's Witnesses when we get the that Clock Tower magazine we'll open it Watch, up and, Watchtower Watchtower sorry <laughs> I was close <laughs> um, is that their publication Yes yeah. yeah and so you would see like green meadows and you would see like bears the lion yeah. and the lamb and you'd see people from all different cultures and yeah. big mountain and landscapes yeah, and you'd see snowy mountains with tropical fruit like steroidal Yes. Giant fruit. In fact, <laughs> if you go and look at Oprah's new book, oh. she it's it's actually like a a Jehovah's Witness publication. Like it's the same text, and it's her with on a green meadow, uh, overlooking a, an amazing uh, mountainscape with her golden retriever, and it it looks exactly it like. Does, yeah. It's extraordinary. It me, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the? Do we know much about the artist behind? Okay. Uh. Well. Should I talk about my project first? Sure, okay. yes. So my master's is basically trying to visualise a positive and meaningful life without God, um, but using uh, religious trauma and, you know, those the responsive psychotherapies involved in that as sort of inspiration for trying to reclaim paradisical iconography. Um, so I've been appropriating images from the Jehovah's Witness Paradise um, which you've described, and um, sorry. Do we know much about the artist? Oh, yes, the yeah. artist. Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> so the artists are usually Jehovah's Witnesses themselves. Um, they're usually Bethelites. So that's Bethel is where people who have a high standing in the religion uh, live and dedicate their life to pr- helping with the printing of the magazines and the Bible-based publications. Um 
So a lot of the works are made by Jehovah's Witnesses and they're catalogued in great detail um, in their image image system of some kind. They record all the um, the dates and who's in it, where it was taken, when it's been published, that type of thing. Um, so he has this image of being really organised and efficient, but um, in ex-Jehovah's Witness circles, there's this really sort of famous um, image that has been discovered to be taken from um, a magazine, another magazine right. st- called Stern. So there's a picture of a bathing woman in the You Can Live Forever on Paradise on Earth book, um, but it's actually a copy of this actress named Pas- Pascal Pettit right. in the in the around the 60s, and she's been on she's been in Playboy and she's been in sex comedies like. Uh, I think in, it's German, but it, in English it translates to uh, "sexy Susan sins again." Ooh. Wow! So you know, there's it's like the Wizard of Oz. It's, it's like wow, it's it's so and so her her glorious, face appears in all these. Uh, just in that one particular image, right? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and have you kept a close eye on what they what the Jehovah's Witness Church is doing now? I guess it's a lot more media based, mm. or is it a bit too painful to be going back and looking? Oh, I am very allergic to religion in general. I, mm. I, it is, but I have to for my master's project. Mm. Um, but yeah, they have been com- becoming a bit more uh, digital Social media savvy. Yeah, and their images are like you can tell they're they're computerized, and they've actually created these characters, animated characters, to teach children about mm. to indoctrinate sorry kids about Bible teachings. We didn't have that growing up. We had kind of more scarier pictures. And when you and you've often talked about when well, when you've left the church, you you felt like your life became really like like a a book about your like first. It yeah. was um, it read like a book of first. And what what made you brave enough to to leave the church? I I I went to university and I actually really liked this guy and I knew that we couldn't be together um I got tired I got tired of saying sorry I can't be with you anymore because I'll be with you at all because of my religion Um, and I think being in love is like the greatest feeling in the world like loving not just romantic love but any kind of love and I I I think when I felt that happiness, I had something to compare it to because I was so unhappy for so long, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's really... I think... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't... Sabella's no. getting called emotional. No, no, no. I think it is really important and I think that, that it is that thing of s- suddenly realising that there's something not there, that you're missing something and, and and being able to have um, what you're saying, something to compare it to where you've been in this experience where you haven't had that love or in, in the way that you know it now. Mm. Um, love is yeah. beautiful. I love you all. <laughs> oh, we love you, Annie. <laughs> we love you. We love love. <laughs> um, we'll yeah. be going more depth into love and also on Annie's work next. But before that, let's go to our track by Smurz. This is Half Life, and you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. You know I got it, do my makeup in bed. 
another duo, another electronic duo to start, you know, your Sunday morning. That was Norwegian duo Smurfs with their track released last year titled Half-Life. I'm Sibella D'Souza and you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio or wherever you get your podcasts. We're in studio with Annie Boonbissett talking about love, talking about community, <laughs> talking about leaving a community and, <laughs> and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses. So you've left the Jehovah's Witness uh, the church, the J-dubs, <laughs> and then you start modelling for life drawing. Can you tell us about that time in your life? I was... It was yes. Okay. <laughs> so I was on antidepressants at the time. Um, so I didn't feel... It was kind of weird. I was like sleeping in my body, like a shell of my body, and I was mm. just observing through the eye sockets in my head oh this is life you know um it was very strange it was very out of body so Mm. modeling for me was really great because I could start to connect again and feel like a whole person because I was you know I I understood I was gaining an understanding of what my body could do and what my body couldn't do and it was just an an act of accepting who I am you know i I exist and it's okay for me to exist and Mm. live my life the way I want to. And so did you feel like you were doing something bad when you were life modelling? No. People people always tell me, oh, wow, it's really brave of you. But I think I was – I just don't have a normal understanding of what it means to be – I haven't lived a normal life, so I don't Mm. really – I'm still learning what it is to be a normal person (laughs) and interact socially in in a – normal way and did your parents ever find out about the modeling yes they what was did. that like <laughs> well mum mum was really upset mm. i think yeah i think she thought i was a bit of a slut <laughs> which was so far from the truth i mm. i was uh 31 when i had my first kiss and i slept with someone for the first time mm. yeah I was a virgin life model. It's <laughs> <laughs> extraordinary. Probably the only one. <laughs> Maybe that's not true. Oh, that, but no. um, you were you also kind of tended to go on Facebook groups and find uh, well, well, people and and public speakers that talk about exiting cults, which is actually a franchise in itself. It's like it, there is a whole market for There's that. There's a whole YouTube algorithm dedicated yes. to watching people leaving cults. Yes, mm. yeah. I think it's great. I think it's actually positive. Like, I grew up, like, I feel, makes me sound like a dinosaur, but, like, I grew up when there was no internet or mm. mobile phones, mm. and I was in this insular, insular community, and we were told not to look at books and um in the internet when it came out <laughs> um don't look at these websites that you know trying to to take you away from god um who's been some of the speakers that have really i guess spoken to you oh uh, you know i i don't base my life on one single book anymore i think there's mm. so many wonderful things that we can take from all people i don't i don't deify people I don't deify myself. There's good and bad in all things. So um, there are good things in the Bible, but I also, you know, I read about psychology and I read about science and, um, yeah, I, I, I read children's books. I, mm. I, yeah. And what's what's some, well, interesting points that some of these cult exiting authors have written? What, what really spoke to you or, or summed up your 
experience in some way. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about self-esteem. Okay. Um, there's a doctor, a psychologist named Dr. Nathaniel Brandon, and he he was like the pioneer of the whole self-esteem movement. And what's interesting about him is, it's um, he talks about self-esteem as not being uh, about self-aggrandizement, but more about just being happy with who you are and standing by the, de- the the your values and the decisions that you make in life. Like a puppy dog who is playing in the park, he's not comparing himself to someone else mm. and he's not competing with someone else. He's just happy to be who he is. He finds joy in who he is. His own fur- furry self. Yeah, yeah that so makes sense. It's, very d- a different I- it's a very different idea to being religious where you're looking for validation. You're trying to prove your worth to an external force mm. it's more about um i'm i'm inherently a person of worth i don't need to prove my value to anyone i was i'm i'm just me from the day i was born can we talk a little bit about the work that you've just made recently for at bankstown art center it was called you are with me in paradise uh, and you made a particular painting that featured your mother and yourself yeah so i appropriated a Jehovah's Witness paradise imagery uh, image. Sorry, um, so in the, in that picture, there's people being resurrected from the dead, from the grave. Is it the image you sent us on? Yeah, yeah, yeah that one. It's on the canvas uh, Instagram. Did you like it? Yes, yeah. it was wonderful. <laughs> okay, okay. I posted it at one a.m. because I got home and I was like, I haven't posted, so. But it had four likes at that time, <laughs> which is good content yeah. retention at, least <laughs> at one a.m. on Easter Sunday. <laughs> Should do that more regularly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what was the question? Do you want to describe this painting? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so obviously, I don't ha- have a belief in an eschatological future anymore. I don't. I only have this life now. I can't believe in life after death in any form. Um, so my work is looking at how do you find meaning in the here and now? And so I'm not going to see my mum again. And she passed away in August, mm. um, which is really sad. But her memory is with me. So the the title of the work comes from a scripture in the Bible where Jesus is being executed and he says to the people beside him who are also being executed, you will be with me in paradise. Mm. So I changed that title to to you are with me in paradise. So mum, my mum is with me now in my memory, in my heart. Um, yeah. She had an amazing story. She fled communi- communist uh, Lao with your father. Yeah, and uh, and settled here in in Western well in Western Sydney, and you said that it was quite extraordinary because the Jehovah's Witnesses really created c- a community for for your yeah. mother and and her and a lot of migrants. Yeah, and uh, I I that's the thing about religious groups. I just from my personal experience, I find they really prey on vulnerable people like mm. children mm. Um, whose brains are still developing and they depend on adults for their survival but also people who are new to the country and can't speak the language and are without their family and they've come from these chaotic nonsensical environments mm. and here they they come and mum had this structure in her life she had these lovely people teaching her English and 
she had a new family and she felt loved and safe. Mm. But then there was all these other fine print rules that um, became apparent later on that really affected our lives. And in that Bankstown show, you also made some beautiful ceramics. Yeah, so I... Um, I remember I, I was picking up my mum's ashes from the crematorium and the lady was trying to push me to buy an urn and it was so ugly. <laughs> it's just not... And I said to her, I put my hand up and I said, um, a mass-produced urn is not the place for my mother. Thank you very much. <laughs> like I was, had a very Naomi Campbell moment. Um, and I've, <laughs> I've seen other urns, like there's this urn design that's on the, that I saw in, um, when my friend Tony... She was so helpful, you know, she was a worldly person. She came all the way from Canberra and she helped me organise mum's funeral. Um, but we went to this crematorium and they had this urn in the shape of cowboy boots with a lasso. And I was like, oh, no, no, that's so wrong. So I was trying to, I was making an, trying to think of an um, urn for my mum, thinking about, is this beautiful enough for mum? Does this really represent who she was and how amazing she was and... Um, my sister, uh, Michelle, she's a ceramicist. She's mm. much um, much more experienced than I am. Um, we, we were just working on it together and it was just interesting because we grieve differently. I, I'm the oldest in the family, so I was, you know, in logistics mode and mm. it, was, it was very m- emotional for Michelle and she, it was really hard mm. for her. Um, but we did it together, you know, we... we remember mum and the funny things she said and what she liked and and you painted patterns on there yeah I painted patterns on her urns so I've made more than one urn because we can't it's it's really interesting like people think that grieving is a process like oh yeah you should be over it by a certain amount of time but it's actually for me it's been a a continuum I don't think I'll ever stop being sad about it Mm. um it just becomes more manageable. So I've been making these urns. Um, and the patterns were of your mother's yeah, dresses, the, yeah. is that right? So yeah. they look kind of paradisical in the sense mm. like they're very, there's lots of lush florals. Um, and the title of the work's called Ashes to Ashes, Stardust to Stardust. I think because <laughs> mum, mum was in the end, she left. the the religion as well and she became Mm. but she was still spiritual in the sense that she prayed to God and her mother and father but she wasn't religious she hated religion um so I was just thinking about like I think people think that when for an atheist like me people think Mm. oh you don't think that life has a meaning and when you die that's it Mm. but Mm. um you know we're because I'm reading about science and stuff, I, I'm learning that you know we're made of stars, and um, it per- to me, a person's value still remains long after their passing. And yeah, mum, yeah, mum, mum's still very alive mm. to me. And you're in a um, a series coming up on the ABC, uh, talking about your story and what is it like being so so public with these personal narratives has it been empowering in some um, way yeah it is traumatic uh, but um i think it's really important that people hear stories like this because there's so much pussyfooting around the the bad things that religion can uh create um 
sorry, what was the question? <laughs> how has it been empowering to, oh, or how, yeah. what, or what has it been, been like? Yeah. yeah. Speaking so publicly about this. Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's a f- famous sci- psychiatrist named Dr. Uh, Victor Frankl, and he was in the Holocaust. He was a believer, but he he created this formula that applies to anyone with or without faith, and that's D equals S minus M, which is despair equals suffering without meaning. So for me to talk about my experience is, you know, salvaging some sort of meaning from what I went through Mm. and using it to help people or... Um, that kind of thing. Otherwise, my my whole life would have been a waste. Um, so there's a lot of people in the XJW community who, you who use their experience as a form of activism mm. um, and helping people who are trapped in, you know, high control groups, um, but also once they've left, yeah. And providing you know people with a, with a model to to be able to see, oh, this person was able to leave and live a full life and be an yeah. artist and do... And it's not know. a waste. Yeah, no. life. Yeah, life mm. is amazing. Um, I was taught that, uh, you know, if life without God is tantamount to death. You know, mm. it's not like life is life. Like, I'm, it's not something we endure to go to heaven or go to paradise. It's it's so amazing. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes I think that I can be a bit intense like people like they don't realize like when you do things for the first time how amazing they are like having your first birthday or having your first kiss or voting for the first time. Um, also, you're like old enough to be able to express it in a lot of different terms. Yeah. When you're a kid, like you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I think it's a bit <laughs> scary for people sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like like imagine I imagine it's like being blind and then seeing colour for the first time, like seeing the colour red, like, wow. Mm. Well, it's not your first time on radio and it certainly won't be your last. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in That's and okay. speaking so openly about your story and about your art. Um, it's been such a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you, thank Annie. You. It's been really beautiful. That was Annie Boonpasset talking about her practice, her life, leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses. Next, we'll hear an interview with our guest music curator, Makita. Stay with us. This is Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. <laughs> Gorgeous track from Korean-American artist Yeji off her 2017 album EP2, picked by our guest music curator, Makita. Speaking of which, it's Makita's last episode with us, and we've been so lucky to have her picking our tracks. Our music producer, Laura Hunt, actually had a chance to sit down with her and talk about the release of her latest EP, Life Trap. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Makita. I'm an artist, musician, DJ based in Melbourne. You entwine storytelling and experimentalism when making music, or that's the feeling that is evoked. Is this style of music always something you've been drawn to making? Not particularly. I think mainly, like, when I first actively decided that I'd start making music, I was listening to a lot of, like, weird folk and, um, and like, rock. And I 
sort of uh, came out of like the Brisbane experimental scene where there were bands like Blank Realm and Floodguards and Kitchen's Floor, but then also some like experimental electronic type stuff. Um, like the Breakdancing the Dawn label was like really present and active. And um, I was just listening to a lot of different weird music, but mainly it was sort of like band music. So I was writing guitar songs and like writing lyrical stuff. And I don't really feel like I'm an, I'm not, I don't think I'm a natural lyricist in any shape or form. So it was just coming out like these really warped, <laughs> weird sort of tracks. Me first off your eagerly awaited EP Life Trap. The track is quite a journey. Can you describe the thoughts behind the track? Um, that track actually sort of started out more just as like an experiment than anything else. Uh, I've been interested in drum and bass for a long time. Um, like my family's background is my dad is um, British Caribbean, and so drum and bass has like roots in uh, Caribbean culture and so when I went to the UK and sort of heard drum and bass in like the context in which it was originally created it had like this really profound impact on me like I'd just be walking down the streets of Peckham in London and sort of just hear it coming out of like bars and clubs and they have like these little record stores there which are like these tiny micro stores with CDRs that um, people sell and I just hear it and it just made so much sense to me. So um, when I created that track, I was sort of just really curious about drum and bass. And I didn't really know heaps of producers, but I kind of just wanted to experiment and see um, how far I could take it and where I could take it and how I could sort of put it in like a contemporary sort of context that really felt like my own. So... I'm really interested in like like something I do when I produce a lot, like a technique that I often just end up going back to is like transposing and pitch shifting things. So I had like a um a, like a just like a drum loop and I just like cut it up and like pitch shifted lots of different parts. Last year, you co-produced an event for Next Wave titled Juve. How did that come about? So Juve was a commission um, for... It was sort of... It's funny. I, I worked on this project called Precog with um, Sozo Snot, who's like a DJ philosopher from who lives here as well, who works out of Melbourne. Um, and we co-produced it together. And um, when we pitched it, we pitched that Cesar and I would both do works. And so I ended up creating this work called Juve. Growing up in white Australia, um, I didn't really have much access to my father's Caribbean community and also just the knowledge and ideas and background and culture of 
um, Trinidad, where my grandfather is from. Um, so I was really just interested in learning more about Caribbean culture. And I guess that sort of ties back to um, a similar space to where I created Me First. Every year, right before Carnival, Carnival is like a huge event in Trinidad and it attracts like huge international tourism every year. But there's like this event called Juve, which translates to the opening or the beginning. And Juve happens at 4 a.m. Um, on Carnival Tuesday, which is like the first day of Carnival. And so it's more like a locals event. So like generally like the tourists don't go it's generally people who live in Trinidad or um whose family are from there that go and it's sort of like the more chaotic frenetic wild um answer to carnival which is quite commercialized and um very expensive and ritzy and you know people wear like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of costumes and makeup and jewelry and it's like the face of carnival that everybody sees but juve is like this like more like locals event I guess and it ties into ideas of like beginning and rebirth as well because when carnival originally originated it was it was it happened due, due to length so there's like ideas of rebirth and renewal and it's a collaboration it's a club it's a collaborative work so the first version I did which was at precog in May last year was with um, a dancer called Eje Yavuz and also um, the steel pan player called Alvin Rostand, who's actually grew up in Trinidad and toured all over the world with a steel pan band. And so Alvin's one of the original like steel pan players who lives in Australia and he lives in Brisbane. And so we collaborated on this work and I told him all about the ideas that I had. And, you know, of course, being from Trinidad, he'd experienced Juve and you know, he'd lived the experience, so it was really interesting to work with someone who understood it on a really personal level. So you had a single that was released called Island Life. Can you talk a little bit about that track? Um, yeah, so Island Life came about maybe two and a half years ago I wrote it, and there was all this really intense, crazy stuff that Peter Dutton was doing at the time he was immigration minister to do with Manus and Nauru and so I at the time was processing that and it just seemed so evil and extreme and I was just trying to work out in my own head um, why someone would implement such inhumane laws. I was, re- I was just really upset and confused as to why someone <laughs> would do what he did basically. Oh, I've 
actually completely missed my script. That was a good... No, keep on script. Keep, keep on script. We check will out, miss you, Makita. Yeah, we'll miss you, Makita. You've been an amazing music curator. <laughs> um, check out her EP, Life Trap, which was released on Melbourne label Nice Music about two weeks ago. We'd also like to thank you for listening and thank you to our special guests, Annie Boompasset and Makita. And Canvas is brought to you by a team of artists hosted by Sabella D'Souza and myself, yours truly, David Capra. Our final track this week is from Melbourne-based musician Rosa Terrazendi with Paranoia on tap. Tune in next for Weekend Lunch with Martin Reyes. And don't forget to see me at the Easter show today. Oh, yeah. David will be <laughs> live streaming or live storying his experiences at the Sydney Easter show. So tune in to our Instagram, which is canvas underscore FBI 94.5. Pretty sure. That's I'm pretty right. sure. Pretty yeah. sure. Enjoy the music. Bye. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Listener.